1: And welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for a look at what's ahead in the markets. My guests are Barron's reporter Nick Jasinski and Gargi Chadhuri, head of iShares Investment Strategy Americas at BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager. iShares is BlackRock's exchange-traded fund business And I suspect Gargi will have plenty of ETF recommendations today on how to invest thematically. So get your questions ready and you can type them into the website as we talk. So welcome, Gargi. Welcome, Nick. And I'm so glad to have you both on Barron's Live. Hi, Lauren. Thank you, Lauren. Gargi, I thought we would start with your broad investment outlook. The markets have had a fantastic month, but frankly, a dismal year. And the question is, where do we go from here?
0: Sure, Lauren, and obviously given the, uh, you know, the backdrop that you lay out in terms of the month that we've had versus the year that we've had, I think the broad uh, themes that we're talking to clients about and that we're writing about is the persistence of volatility that uh, we've already unfortunately seen both in the equity markets as well as the bond markets, uh, but that uh, that volatility remaining with us uh, for some time. And when I think about what is going to continue to drive the market, what we should focus on for the next five to six months to end the year, is really thinking about the path of inflation from here. That's obviously paramount importance going forward, because the path of inflation is what is going to drive the path of policy, whether that be from um, the Fed, the Federal Reserve, or from any of the other central banks. Um, and then, obviously, a result of what the Federal Reserve does or what they indicate to us that they will do with policy in the future is what is going to determine price action for the remainder of the year. And again, that's going to impact, um, obviously, the very front end of the fixed income markets, because that's what the Fed can control. But also, you know, growth equities, because that's what they're looking at. They're looking at real rates and how much that shifts. So as I think about the broad economic backdrop, I think um, investors should certainly remain invested in the equity markets, uh, but with a little bit of caution, uh, because there are some reasons to believe that we are experiencing a little bit of a slowdown in the US economy. We're seeing that in the data. We saw that just today with the empire manufacturing print that came out. Um, And given this caution, we think that investors should you know look at sectors that provide their portfolio with a little bit of defensiveness in the equity markets and with a little bit of income in the fixed income market so i'll start there okay so how
1: would you express those particular views in etfs sure
0: um, so i'll start with the yeah yeah So I'll start with the defensiveness idea that I talked about. And here it's important to remember that even if you are feeling a little bit cautious as we are about the global growth trajectory, and it's it's definitely about Europe and to a certain extent about the U.S. as well, and by no means am I saying or are we as a team saying that we're about to enter into a recession. But it is important and prudent to recognize that the data is slowing down in many sectors of the economy, and with that in mind, you know, investors should certainly think about the long-term impacts of being invested in the markets, but turn to minimum volatility. So USMV is the ticker that we are telling investors to gravitate towards, which allows you to invest in those companies that actually have a lower amount of volatility. What so again, you for? can be invested. United uh, US minimum volatility. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Min, min, Minimum volatility, which is the M and the V. And the U.S. is, uh, you know, the, the, there's no, obviously a way to play this in emerging market space as well. But for our listeners who are looking for a U.S. ticker, we would say the U.S. Emory ticker, the iShares MSCI, USA minimum volatility. Um, that's one. And of course, if you are an investor that's looking at um, a defensive way to play in the EM market, for example, you can certainly do so with the EEMV. So share is emerging markets, minimum volatility ticker um, is one that you can do so. So that's one way of playing the defensiveness theme, Lauren, that I was talking about. But another way I would say is also thinking about companies and industries and sectors that are going to have somewhat better pricing power that have uh, what we call quality um, in their balance sheet. So companies that are a little bit more able to pass on higher prices, if you will, companies that are able to preserve their margin, if you will. And one of the industries that we think that, uh, you know, do very well with both that defensiveness in mind, as well as a pricing power in mind is specifically within healthcare, but it's actually healthcare providers. So again, the ticker here that we think investors should gravitate towards is IHF, so that uh, U.S. healthcare providers, ETF, IHF. Um, and again, that is um, that's giving you the defensiveness, but at the same time, giving you a little bit of that pricing power, the quality um, as well.
1: You mentioned the U.S. and Europe. You mentioned emerging markets, but the big news this morning was China, which is... Mm which is lowering interest rates, the economy is having some trouble. What do you make of the situation in China? What are the implications for other markets? And how would you invest in China through ETFs, if at all?
0: Yeah, so right now, we are uh, are actually neutral in terms of our allocations to China. I think, you know, obviously, what the the actions that we saw this morning um, are certainly coming at the back of some of the, um, you know, faltering recovery process, if you will, Uh, just some of the issues that we've seen, whether it be in terms of credit growth, whether uh, whether it be in terms of export slowdown, whether it just broadly be in the very sluggish property market. Um, I think some of that is definitely going to be a uh, concern for growth for some time. And that's on one hand. And on the other hand, you still have sort of rolling lockdowns. You still have an economy that hasn't yet uh, fully uh, reopened. Uh, there's obviously concerns around continuous, um, you know, concerns around COVID and lockdowns that remain. Um, so, with both the uh, property markets and the broader credit concerns and the slowing growth in China, um, as well as the lack of reopening, you know, obviously we hope that the economy can reopen fully in in a uh, prudent manner soon. But that's certainly not what we have seen. With both of those in mind, I would say Chinese equities are where we are certainly remaining neutral for now. What we would need to see to turn more positive on China at some point in the future, which I hope that we will see, is really a a vaccination uh, rate that increases meaningfully, especially among uh, the elderly population, Um, and we would need to see sort of... uh, you know, we need to have some faith that the reopening is for real. Okay. Um, and and to the extent that we haven't seen that, uh, we would remain neutral uh, China for now um, and really watch for the data and the, some of the vaccination data that I'm talking about to evolve. And obviously, when that happens, there are very many ways in which an investor can play China so certainly, you know, if you are an investor that's looking for a China tech, and I know we were talking about tech earlier, uh, one of the fact, uh, areas that do very well within our screens from a quality standpoint is TCHI. Um, uh, so, um, you know, TCHI uh, that literally stands for China Tech or tech, and then CHI for China. Um, and if you want something that is giving you a broader sort of exposure, it, uh, we would always say sort of looking at CNYA, uh, but having said that for now, we remain a neutral for in China, despite some of the news in terms of the medium term lending facility and the seven day reverse report rates being cut this morning. We still don't think it's quite time yet.
1: Interesting, thanks for getting into that. Uh, One more question Mm -hmm. for me, and then I think Nick's got a few as well. Dividend ETFs have attracted a lot of flows this year, and for good reason. So which dividend-focused ETFs now
0: look most appealing to you? Yeah, to your point, flows have certainly gone into dividend-focused uh, ETFs. You know, one of the reasons that that has been the case is, you know, it's a potential source of income. Investors are looking for income. It's a potential source of diversification. And the other factor, the quality in a portfolio. Remember, we started talking about how, as you're turning defensive, having that quality in your portfolio is really important. And obviously, dividend-paying stocks tend to reflect those near-term profitability. We tend to reflect companies that have the the ability to pay out dividends have that cash flow so where we are rec- recommending our investors focus to focus on is hdv Uh, So, high dividends, so HDV, and also DGRO, so dividend growth. So, those are the two that we are talking about, pretty, uh, you know, a lot of client questions about. Uh, But certainly thinking about dividends as a way of getting income in your portfolio, as well as a way in which you can improve the quality of your equity portfolio. And to your point, significant amount of inflows um, to the dividend ETF date.
1: So that's HDV and D G R O. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So I want to bring Nick into the conversation. He follows your work closely, and I know he has a few questions.
2: I, I wanted to ask about um, COMT, which was—I remember that was one of your top recommendations at the start of this mm-hmm. year, the commodity ETF. Um, it went up, I think, more than fifty percent through early June, and since then, it's given about, given back about half of those gains. So what should what should investors expect from commodity prices from here?
0: Yeah, sure, Nick. And it's a great question. And to your point, one of the ways in which we were telling investors to sort of hedge their portfolios for inflation coming into this year was looking at commodities and obviously understanding that that comes with a high amount of volatility. Uh, When we came out with our media guide, which we did, and you can go to iShares.com/backslash/insights to get, um, you know, take a read of that if you're interested. But as we turned towards the media and we published that in the uh, end of June, what we actually moved to was, in fact, we specifically said that uh, moving away from commodities. Specifically, given the fears around a slowing economy, moving away from those exposures such as COMT, because obviously, as you know, that's directly tied to the performance of a broad basket of commodities. And what we talked about was actually to prefer owning companies that we prefer owning companies that can translate structurally higher commodity prices into profitability. So instead of the raw commodities, even in a diversified manner, moving towards commodity equities, we felt was the better play for the second half of the year. Um, and part of the reason was because we felt that commodities had done what they were supposed to do in the first half of the year. They'd obviously given you that performance. They had done so in a, in a very volatile environment. But we are, and I you know, started off with this backdrop in the beginning of the conversation, but we are getting a little bit concerned about the Dynamics Again, not calling for a recession, but certainly seeing some signs of slowdown. And when we are beginning to see some of those slowdowns, outside uh, commodity exposures can obviously you know, suffer given the pullback in demand. Um, so that's why commodity equities is where, and specifically where we think investors Sort of uh, sort of can you know, capitalise on this trend, looking at subsectors within the commodity complex that will benefit uh, we think is energy and agriculture. Um, so specifically within energy sectors, you know, looking at both uh, traditional sources of energies, obviously we're looking at companies that have excellent cash flow. You know, we saw that in the earnings growth projections and the forward projections, um, as well as looking at clean energy companies, right? So we all know that the Inflation Reduction Act just went through, mm-hmm. and obviously now we have the greatest amount of spending that we've seen ever towards clean energy, so investors that are sort of uh, thinking about how to play this theme away from COMT, we would actually recommend that you focus on uh, two tickers specifically, which is IEO, which stands for uh, U.S. Oil and Gas Exploration and Production. Uh, so that is more the traditional form of energy. And then the other area that we think investors should really be focused on is ICLN. So that's iShares Global Clean Energy ETF. Uh, and we think that you know going forward, at least for the next four or five months, both of those in your portfolio can have a really good outcome and you can um, earn pretty significant returns given the valuations and given the opportunities in the space.
1: I have to make a plug for Barron's cover story on clean energy this past weekend, right, Nick?
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: So thank you, Gargi. I want to talk now about um, the earnings coming this week. We like to do that on the Monday call. So, Nick, it's a big week for retail earnings. We're going to hear from Walmart and Home Depot on Tuesday, Bath & Body Works, Lowe's, Target, and TJX on Wednesday, and Ross Stores on Thursday. What are these companies likely to tell us about the health of the U.S. consumer?
2: I think that'll certainly be the the big macro takeaway for a lot of investors is, I mean, of course, it's it's no surprise to our listeners. Inflation is the big story there, and that's forcing consumers to spend more on essentials like groceries, um, which tend to be relatively low margin sales for these retailers. And that comes at the expense of home furnishings, apparel, and other merchandise that generally carries wider profit margins. Um, so you're likely to see plenty of revenue growth from, from all of these retailers that are reporting, but um, a lot of pressure on profit margins. And that's not going to translate necessarily to the bottom line Um, because in short, retailers have been needing to discount their products more and more in order to just clear the inventory that they have on hand. And that's obviously bad for profit margins. Um, And the other thing is just shifts in spending. It's not just about inflation, but um, after two years of the pandemic, people are spending more, more money on traveling this summer and eating out at restaurants. And those are all services, which it's not helpful for retailers that sell physical goods, not services.
1: That makes sense. So give us some specifics on earnings. Walmart, for instance, issued a profit warning in July. It took down its earnings guidance. What is the company going to report? What is it expected to report? And what do you make of the stock?
2: Yeah, that was really a shocking uh, swing from for management at Walmart. They, um, back in May, in the middle of May, they uh, said that they expect operating income would be about flat this year compared to uh, the last fiscal year. Um, And then in last month, like you mentioned, they issued a warning that actually operating income they expect is going to be down between 11 and 13% this year, this fiscal year, which ends in January of 2023. Um, So for the fiscal second quarter, which is May, June, July for Walmart, um, Wall Street expects revenue of $151 billion. That's a staggering number, um, which is going to be up 7% year over year. But for earnings per share to come in at 162, which would be down 9%. Um, so that's, the, uh, that's the, the trend there where revenue is rising because of inflation. They're selling things for more money, but the profit margins are falling. Um, from Target, which you mentioned also, the report on Wednesday, the trends are very similar. Grocery spending is up, but costs are up everywhere, and customers are spending less money on the more profitable discretionary categories. Um, and the, the, uh, the expectations are even worse where they expect uh, Wall Street expects revenue of $26 billion, which would be up about 4% but for or- earnings per share to come in at 79 cents, which would be down 78%, which is pretty staggering.
1: Yeah. These are, these are big negative surprises in both or in both situations. We should know Walmart stock is down 8% this year. Target, which had an even bigger negative surprises down 25%. So our colleague Andrew Barry gave a ringing endorsement of Home Depot stock in this past week's Barron's Roundtable TV show. I'm curious, Nick, which retail stocks you like, if any?
2: Um, Andrew certainly had a good argument for, for Home Depot shop, stock, and I encourage everybody to watch that, uh, that segment. Um, I think if you have a long-term perspective, then actually Target and Walmart are probably getting interesting as well. Um, the, the, the issues that are facing them tend to be rather short to medium-term issues. They're certainly not permanent, and that's the, the margin pressure under inflation. Um, at some point, that's going to go away. Don't ask me for this specific quarter. Um, and then the, the shift from good to services is also that's, that's this whiplash from the pandemic, and that's not going to be something that continues happening. Um, so I think once both of those issues are dealt with, they, they can go back to their, their winning ways, which is expanding market share, increasing online shares, uh, online sales, I should say, and opening new locations. Target in particular is, is opening new stores in urban areas. There's one that just opened here near me in, in New York, another one in Soho that's opening, I think, maybe this week. Um, those tend to have more affluent consumers and, and again, are those higher margin goods. Um, so it doesn't mean that a bad earnings result or outlook this week can't knock the stock even further down. But I'm pretty confident saying that if, if you're looking over the next two years or so, um, then, then the stock will be higher then.
1: Cargie, what's your view on retail stocks and on the group
0: generally? Yeah, sure. So, you know, agree with a lot of the things that Nick was just talking about. The theme that he highlighted that uh, makes a lot of sense is just this pressure from inflation that consumers have felt and are going to probably continue to feel at least for the next 12 to 18 months. And by the way, um, you know, I sort of started talking about this earlier, but the view that we have at BlackRock is that Inflation is likely to stay higher, uh, not at today's levels, but certainly higher than the pre-pandemic levels, so closer to the 3% level than the 2% level for some time, for the medium term. So the idea that um, inflation is going to go away very quickly is really not uh, one that we certainly Agree with and therefore, sort of watching uh, all of the retailers um, as they um, sort of post earnings this week and how they are talking about the spending, I think is going to be super important. But I also don't think this is a Q2 story. I think this is one that's going to be with us for some time. So, a little bit more cautious, I would say. Um, just given the consumption uh, patterns that can change change as inflation remains a little bit firmer for a lot longer than perhaps many others think um, likely.
1: Okay, I want to spend a moment on John Deere, which is also reporting, and then we'll go to some listener questions Deer is not your father's tractor company, and it's not your basic industrial stock anymore. Fill us in, Nick, on the changes at Deer and what they could mean for the shares.
2: Yeah, so it's uh, it's best known for those big green tractors and, and other agricultural equipment, lawnmowers, um, but it's actually a very innovative company. This was recently highlighted by uh, in another Barron's cover story by Al Root and Reshma Kapadia. Um, in a story about the global food shortage and companies that are working to help address that. Um, so John Deere, they're spending a billion and a half dollars a year on research and development and things like drones and robotics and navigation systems, along with data analytics. And the goal for all of those new technologies to, is to make farmers more productive. Um, the dream there really is self-driving tractors, um, where Deere can then push a subscription service around that, the, the data and it, and it moves to a, uh, of a recurring revenue model rather than, than one-off sales, which are much more cyclical and, and tied to, to uh, cycles and farming and the general economy. Um, right now, subscriptions are less than 1% of Deere's revenues, but the company believes that that should grow to 10% by the end of the decade. Um, and that's that's recurring revenue. That, that's going to be much higher uh, profit margin than their, their existing revenues, and um, that should boost the stock's PE multiple. Right now, it's at about 15 times forward earnings. Um, they report earnings on Friday, Lauren, um, deer is also a, uh, it's a, I mean, so, so the, 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 the shift to recurring revenue software sales uh, from self-driving tractors, that's not going to be something in, in this quarter's results. That's much more of the long-term story for, for deer that, um, that we wrote about in that cover story. Todd Alston of Parnassus, who's a member of the Barron's round table has also long been bullish on this transformation underway at deer, um, for the record for the, yeah, for the quarter of the reporting on Friday, that's the fiscal third of 2022. Earnings per share are expected to be $6.65, which would be up 25% on sales of about $13 billion, which would be up 24%. And the stock has outperformed this year. It's up about 6% year to date, while the uh, the broader market is down double digits. Um, analysts on Wall Street generally have one-year price targets in the around the high 300s to around $400 a share versus the stock's current, uh, let me see. 364
1: 55 I just Got looked it
2: up. Um, and then I know Todd um, from, from Parnassus, he he thinks it can continue to compound after that. He has a, a longer term price target in 2024 of $550. Um, and Deere also has a 1.2% dividend yield right now.
1: Kind of a fascinating transformation for this company. I know a lot of folks at Barron's like the stock and Todd is not the only roundtable member who likes it. So- yeah,
2: it'll be an interesting decade for Deer for sure.
1: Absolutely. So I want to go to some listener questions. I'm going to pose the first one for Gargi. Charles asks, in your opinion, how many more interest rate increases do you see before the Fed reaches its goal to ameliorate inflation?
0: Sure. Great question. I would say that uh, we're probably going to end 2022 with Fed funds um, somewhere between three and a quarter to three and a half. Um, So still a fair amount of Fed funds uh, hikes to go. But the good news is that we actually have most of that priced in into the marketplace already. So my view is we probably get to about uh, three and a quarter, maybe three and a half uh, Fed funds rate. And that is up from today's target rate, which is about 2.375.
1: He also asked, what are the chances for a soft landing as opposed to a hard landing or a recession?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, look, we have our own internal recession monitor that we look at to see, you know, what several ways of measuring data in the economy um, is showing. So it's not just looking at two quarters of negative GDP growth, which obviously is one way of determining a technical recession. Um, is there a chance of a soft landing? Absolutely. I think that can happen if the Fed, uh, you know, maneuvers through this hiking cycle with a huge amount of um, dexterity, I guess, uh, and doesn't push the Fed funds rate to, you know, sort of a four or even a higher four 4.5% four Fed funds. I think if they get to this three and a quarter or perhaps even three and a half by the end of this year, and then Pause a little bit, wait, and see whether monetary policy is indeed working. We all know that it works with a long and variable lag, so take a little bit of time next year to understand the implications of these uh, rate hikes, of these 325 to 350 basis points of rate hikes that uh, that they have done through the course of 2022. To and try to determine what impact that's having on the economy. I think if they do that, we could see a soft landing, especially since the job market is, as we all know, in a really good shape so far. The unemployment rate is at 50-year lows and uh, wages are still rising, so that puts the consumer in an okay footing. And uh, despite a lot of slowdown in the manufacturing sector, uh, you know, a recession isn't a foregone conclusion. However, I think the Fed, if they sort of, if they don't recognize that inflation will probably settle at a higher level of two and a half to three percent, and if they are insistent upon pushing uh, and sort of slamming the brakes on the economy. Uh, and pushing Fed funds to a much higher level to bring inflation back down to below 2% to the pre-pandemic levels, I think that's going to be really hard in that case to engineer that soft landing. But I will say that our recession indicator, which my team and I uh, look at, Is not flashing um, a recession as of this now. uh, As of right now, we are looking at several sectors of the economy that are slowing down, such as housing, such as um, obviously the manufacturing sector, some signals of industrial production. But at the same time, personal income, as well as the job market, remains really robust.
1: So interesting. We will we will come back to you about that in a couple of months and see where things stand. you will give a good rationale there. So we had a question about tech stocks. And I'm wondering, um, Chrisman has asked about tech stocks for the long haul. I'm wondering what you see as the big themes in tech, Gargi, and the best ways to play the sector.
0: Sure. And this is something that leads we- you know, think about a lot. We think of, you know, what we call thematics or uh, trends that are, you know, very long term, very transformational, and they change the way in which we live and work for the next decade and not the next few years. And obviously, technological breakthroughs play a really large role in that. Um, And again, this is not about tomorrow's trade. This is not about the next three months or even the next six months, but really thinking about where should you be investing if you're investing for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And this is where some areas of tech specifically, we think, um, and some areas of broader tech, not just your you know thinking about the the NASDAQ broadly, but what are the areas of broader tech that can really reap you some amazing benefits. And this is where robotics and AI, uh, so looking at iShares ETF sticker, IRBO, makes a lot of sense. Now think about something like ro- robotics and AI. That's obviously something that's going to continue to be a big part of our lives. We're going to continue to see companies automating, especially if wage prices continue to rise. Um, I would also say cybersecurity. So looking at an ETF sticker such as IHAK, IHAK. Um, that's something where companies are going to continue to spend money, depend regardless of whether we are in a recession or in a soft landing. So that's again another area of tech that uh, probably does very well. And then moving away from traditional, what, you, what one traditionally thinks about uh, uh, when they think about tech, but looking at other areas of the market. So for example, you know, we talked about clean energy earlier, uh, but thinking about self-driving vehicles, I know we were talking about. John Deere just uh, earlier with Nick mentioning the earnings report, but you know instead of uh, looking at one company, if you're looking at self-driving and electronic vehicles um, as a value chain, so looking at IDRV uh, as an ETF ticker, I think that's something that can have a lot of room to grow. Um, and one that's very close to my heart is focusing on emergent food and agricultural technology given the food inflation that we've already seen, sort of moving away from uh, traditional sources of food into looking at companies that have the ability to uh, spend and enhance crop yields. Um, so that's IVEG, a ticker that um, I think um, has a lot of appeal uh, for the na- for the medium to long-term for investors. So I'll stop there with a few ideas. i second be
1: Great ideas in in all kinds of tech. Thanks for those. We have a question from Catherine about banks. She was interested in banks in general and large ones versus regional ones and how you look at them as an investor. I'm going to put that one to Nick. What are you thinking about banks these days, Nick?
2: Um, well, so the so banks as a group, they haven't done so well year to date. They've caught a bounce with the rest of the market um, in the past six weeks or so, um, but are still generally as a group down year to date. Um, the uh, Right now, the, it's, it's a very mixed Picture overall, I would say um, the inverted yield curve is certainly a challenge for the the bread and butter business of lending for for banks, um, where they take in short-term deposits, for example, consumer deposits, and then they lend that out over the long term in the form of mortgages or other loans. Um, so when the uh, when the when the rates on short-term um, borrowing exceed that on long-term, then that's that's not good for their margins. Um, certainly, if we do go into recession, that would not be good for the group either in terms of of uh, consumer credit and, and other um, loan losses um, and that's particularly true for regional banks which don't have as much international or investment bank revenues as, as some of the big Wall Street ones um, and when you look at those you really should look at the local economies so if it's a bank in Hawaii you want to have a bet on how the economy of Hawaii is going to do and and so on um, uh, as for this past earnings season the loan loss reserves at the big banks really hurt results. That's hard to predict. We might see a little more of that if management are are, uh, are more pessimistic, but there's also potential for that to reverse if the econo- economic outlook gets better. Um, the Wall Street banks were really hurt by the lack of M&A and IPO underwriting and other capital markets activity that slowed down this year. But at the same time, trading revenues were up significantly, along with the greater volatility that we're seeing. Um, buybacks are down as as banks are, are conserving capital. So it's an Overall, it's a pretty mixed picture. One that I like in particular, I think, is, is Bank of America. BAC is the ticker. Um, they, they say that they're the most asset sensitive of the major US banks, which means that its assets, that's loans, um, respond to changes in interest rates faster than its liabilities, such as deposits. Um, and that's obviously an advantage when, when rates are going up. Um, they said at the end of the second quarter that um, almost 40% of the banks, they have more than $2 trillion in deposits. About 40% of those pay no interest at all. While cons- their consumer accounts pay an average interest rate of just 0.02, percent um, so they're they're in the in the second quarter net interest income was up almost 900 million dollars in the period, and management said that they could expect a similar rise in the third quarter. And the vast majority of that flows through to the bottom line. It's just it's a higher in- interest rate differential. It's it's not uh, proportional to costs. Um, over the long term, they've done a good job diversifying into wealth management as well through Merrill. Um, Wall Street, let me just see, the average price target is about $42 versus the stock at around $35 today. Also has a 2.4% dividend yield. Um, That's Bank of America. That would be my pick in the the banking sector right now.
1: Excellent, thank you. And I just wanna close with a question for Gargi. BlackRock has been closely associated with ESG investing, or a focus on environmental, social, and governance issues. I'm wondering, Gargi, what are the other big themes that the bank is emphasizing these days internally and externally?
0: Sure. Um, that's a great place to end. I would say the first thing um, is that I you're
1: right. Absolutely. I was going to say I correct myself and say not the bank. I meant to say the firm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I that. I was stuck on banks. Um, Tell me about BlackRock. <laughs> yes, definitely. So I would say the first thing is you're right. We certainly do want investors to think about the um, impact of ESG investing. But even before that, I think the first thing that BlackRock wants um, everyone to do is really think about the, their financial future. So really, whoever you are, if you're listening to it, if you have family and friends that are not investing... Encouraging them to invest, of course, to save, but also investing in the market. So I would say that securing a, a financial future for our clients is the first thing that we, in Aisha, as in at BlackRock, are really focused on. And then, in, with the response uh, to in, in response to the question that you asked around, you know, what we're thinking about, obviously, climate change is something that we're very focused on, as well as resource scarcity. So we talked about sort of, um, you know, ICLN, which is our global clean energy ETF, but really thinking about other resources that might be scarce and how we can, you know, help the world by alleviating some of the pressures on some of those resource scarcity. So thinking about emergent food and agricultural technologies such as IVEG is one that we're focused on. Another area that I think is really important for all of us as human beings to think about is just the rapid urbanization that's taking place, the mass migration to different cities, whether that be because of climate change reasons or whether that be because, you know, people are um, just moving to other areas where they have better opportunities. So focusing on infrastructure, not only is that an inflation hedge, but really that's something that will probably be with us for some time. Um, I would also say that you know we spend a lot of time talking about technolog- technology um, and how we view tech stocks, so I won't view that uh, talk about that again. But I think one thing that one good thing that COVID brought us among a lot of really uh, unfortunate things is, you know, the mRNA and the mRNA vaccine and what that means in terms of modern medicine and consumer habits. So really focusing on the future of health with um, ETF tickles such as B-Med, B-M-E-D uh, makes a lot of sense. So those in few are a few things that um, we are focusing on at um, as and at BlackRock.
1: Glad I asked. Those are good topics. I want to thank you, Gargi, for joining us today. This was terrific. And Nick, of course, thank you as well. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, the subject is fixed income. Daniela Marta Robicki, co-head of multi-sector fixed income at Macquarie Asset Management, will join Barron's senior writer, Lauren Foster, to discuss U.S. inflation expectations, future Fed policy, recession fears, and why now is a good time to invest in bonds. Perhaps the one topic we didn't get to today, right? Thanks yeah, again. Yeah, we really didn't. <laughs> no, well, that's tomorrow. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. And thanks to our Thank
0: listeners.
1: Stay well, everyone. Thank you. Have a good day.
0: The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.